One day, Jesus found himself walking alone through Jerusalem. It was a feast of the Jews and Jerusalem was thronged with busy worshippers from all nations. Yet, he who was the great I Am, whose name is Jehovah, he whom they supposedly came to worship, walked alone. He was unnoticed and unrecognised in the place that he has established for himself. He came to his own, but his own received him not. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John 1.5 Desire of Ages says even his disciples did not understand him. And during his ministry, he must still walk alone. He walked alone through Jerusalem in meditation and prayer, wondering what it is that he could do, what it is that he could say to arrest the attention of the people. They were so absorbed in their forms of worship, so focused in the keeping of the law, that they overlooked the very lawgiver that they claimed to worship. In spite of all the light that they had, in spite of being his remnant people, in spite of their doctrinal purity, in spite of their sense of spiritual superiority, they were fast heading to destruction. Jesus wanted to find some way while there was still time to draw their attention away from their vain religious worship to himself, to he who was their only hope, what could he do to awaken them to their need of the gift of life that he had come to give them? Today, Jesus is walking through this church and all the churches that are called by his name in every nation. Does he walk alone? Amid the noisy thoroughfares of Jerusalem, do we recognise and understand his voice? Or is it lost amidst the calls to worship, the praise music, the sermonising, the socialising, the evangelistic programs, the teachings of men, the theological arguments, the humanistic philosophies? Are we who claim to worship him so preoccupied, so self-satisfied with our religion, so foolish that Christ also passes us by unrecognised? What can Jesus do to arrest our attention before it is for us too late? Now as Jesus walked, he came upon the pool of Bethesda, around which there were five porches, where lay a great multitude of the sick and dying, the blind, the crippled, and the maimed, all hoping and waiting to be healed. They believed that from time to time, an angel would come down from heaven and move the waters, and whoever was first to step in would be healed. The hope of these sufferers was, however, in vain. Not just because the ones that had the most need were unable to get into the water, but because there was no healing to be found there. Their blind faith was completely misplaced. 
But being the only hope that they had, they desperately clung to it. Imagine the wretched scene. See the hundreds of mangled bodies, the disfigured faces of those who doctors could not cure, for which ministers had no comfort, for which society had no use. Their only hope was in an unlikely miracle. They spent entire days and nights by the pool in a vain hope of finding relief. Every morning they awoke to be greeted by the bodies of their companions that had died through the night. Every day those that were able to would creep from their beds to the edge of the pool to be nearer to the water, often only to die upon its brink in the attempt. Whenever the water was troubled, the strongest, those that were the fittest and needed it the least, and the most selfish would rush in, trampling those weaker than themselves. But Jesus looked upon this pitiful scene. He saw not just the disfigured bodies, but he saw their diseased and dying souls. He saw a picture of a dying world steeped in sin. A world where many recognise their own wretchedness and seek in vain to escape it. But Jesus saw much more than that. He saw a picture of his professed people, obsessed with obtaining salvation while laden with sins and destined for destruction. The sufferers by the pool were so consumed with their vain hope of being healed by the moving of the water that they were completely unaware of Christ, the only one who could heal them, standing in their very midst. Likewise, the Jewish church was waiting for the coming of the Messiah while he stood in their midst unrecognised. Instead of turning to him, they pursued after religious fables. What does Christ see when he looks upon his professed people today? Does he see rich floors of wheat ready for the garner? Or does he see the mangled and disfigured characters, the spiritually blind, the crippled? Does he see those for which theological theories have no cure? Does he see those who were so absorbed in their church activities, their forms of worship, their study of religious teachings, that they do not notice or recognise the Prince of Life? Does he see the church full of the spiritually dead and dying? We know what he sees because he's told us. He sees the church overflowing with those who think that they are rich but are miserable and poor and blind and naked and destined to be spewed out of his mouth into utter darkness. Multitudes today have congregated at the pool of Bethesda waiting for the moving of the waters a symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They hope and believe that when the Holy Spirit moves, they'll be miraculously healed from their defilement, from the imperfections of character, that they will gain the victory over their sins. 
They are encouraged in this expectation by those who have attained an outward correctness of character according to worldly policy and who in proud humility declare how they have been healed. It seems that only the strongest willed, the most confident, the most religious, the most avid believers are able to overcome the defects in their characters, overcome their sinful tendencies, their addictions and their evil habits, their impatience, their pride, their selfishness. But this is all just an outward illusion. We're told in Steps to Christ, page 18, education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, all have their proper sphere. But here, they are powerless. They may produce an outward correctness of behaviour, but they cannot change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life. Meanwhile, the lifeless bodies of those who have spiritually died while hoping to be healed by the outpouring of the latter rain obstruct the way of others who would be healed. These who wait for the latter rain for healing do so in vain because it can do no such thing. Testimonies, Volume 5, 214. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall on us. And Second Testimonies 3.55, when he comes, he is not to cleanse us of our sins, to remove from us the defects in our characters, or to cure us from the infirmities of our tempers and dispositions. If wrought for us at all this work will all be accomplished before that time. No work will then be done for them to remove their defects and give them holy characters. It is now that this work is to be accomplished for us. Unnoticed and unheeded, he alone who can heal our souls, who is not willing that any should perish, stands by us today. But absorbed in seeking for the moving of the waters, the healing he offers is misunderstood and unappreciated. And instead of turning to him, many pursue after theological fables. Now the hundreds of the hopeless cases, there was one that was wretched above all others. He had been a helpless cripple for 38 long years. His disease was in a great decree the result of his own sin and it was looked upon as a judgment from God. So he felt completely shut out from God's mercy. He was sure that he was lost. Lost both in this world and in the world to come. He hoped against hope that by some miracle he would be able to get into the healing water before all the others who were stronger and more able than himself. There he lay, alone and friendless, waiting for the waters to stir. He could see the wide contrast between his condition and that of those who were well. He despised his bodily corruption. He loathed himself and craved for a new life that only healing would bring. For many years it had been the sole object of his life. He lived for the day when he would be immersed in the pool and be healed. He knew that just being at the poolside was not enough. But getting into the water was a great struggle for him. 
his persistent efforts towards this one object. And his anxiety and continual disappointment were fast wearing away what little of his strength remained. He knew his case was hopeless and that he would most likely die before the waters would again be troubled. When he was first brought to the pool, he had some hope and faith that he would make it and be healed. But without anybody to help him, he was unable to get into the water quickly enough. And with every single failed attempt, his hope had been slowly grinding away. And it was now completely beyond his reach. Without a miracle, all of his efforts to obtain divine healing were in vain. But even this miracle, he had no hope of attaining. How many times had he prayed to God for help and his prayer got unanswered? His hope of being healed was almost now completely lost. Many today realise their own wretchedness. They see, as we read in Steps of Christ 47, they are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt and controlled by the habits of their life of sin. Their promises and their resolutions are like ropes of sand. They cannot control their thoughts, their impulses, their affections. The knowledge of their broken promises and forfeited privileges weakens their confidence in their own sincerity and causes them to feel that God cannot accept them. Whether we realise it or not, we are all in the same condition. Like the cripple, we are spiritually paralysed. We seem to make no progress in our spiritual life. We are as infirm in the spirit as the cripple was infirm in his body. Where is the holiness, the godliness, the glory and the power? Where are the gifts of the spirit? Yet, if you still cling to the promise that God will sanctify us wholly, to preserve our whole spirit and soul and body blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the presence of his glory. Like the cripple, we long to obtain the promise and believe that our spiritual infirmity will be healed when we are submerged in the living waters of the latter rain. We have lingered by the pool and made many efforts to come near to the place where the Holy Spirit is to be found. We have cherished belief, prayer, Bible study and done many things that we might obtain the promise. But the years of seeking without success to overcome our faults and obtain holiness in thought and word and action have faded our hopes of obtaining holiness in this life, of obtaining the victory of overcoming sin. All the while, our spiritual energies are wasting away. We realise that something must change if we are ever to be healed. We hope against hope that we might still obtain the promise and cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? If this is your cry, you need not despair, because there is one here present today that knows your need and has power to heal. 
as Jesus looked upon this miserable scene, his heart went out to them. He wanted to heal them all. But this one wretched case caught his attention. Jesus drew near to him and asked him, Would you be made whole? What a strange question. Jesus knew that this had been the only object of this man's life for 38 years. That his every thought and every action at every moment had been directed towards being healed. But Jesus could not help him until he first realised not that he needed to be healed, he already knew that, but that he was completely unable of obtaining healing by any means whatsoever. Jesus can only help those that have no other hope. None other but Christ alone. There are many in the church today that know that they are spiritually sick and dying and that their only hope is a miracle of grace and are waiting for the future outpouring of the Spirit to be made whole. And while desiring and hoping for divine healing, they rely on their own understanding. They rely on their own desires. They rely on their own will to obtain it. They think they can obtain the promise of the Holy Spirit by their own efforts, their prayers, their hope, their faith, with the help of fellow church members. They attempt by this means to drag their disfigured souls to the healing water and plunge themselves in. They feel no present need for Jesus to heal their soul and dismiss the only means by which healing can be obtained. They have not realised the deceitfulness of their own hearts. They do not see that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Then there are others who have no need for the stirring of the waters. They think that having come to the poolside and participating in all the poolside activities is all that is required of them. They presume that because they are in the church, they do not need to be healed from the corruption of their souls. That their disfigured characters do not need to be purged. That they do not need to overcome their sins. That they can be saved just as they are. With their pride and their selfishness and their impatience and their covetousness and their self-idolatry. Their efforts, if they ever had any, to get into the water to be healed have ceased. They are spiritually dead. Their corpses litter the poolside, waiting to be removed. They are unresponsive to Jesus' promptings. The crippled man had no such delusions. He knew that unless something changed, that he would soon die. And he had done everything he could. He tried every remedy. He spent everything he had. He's exhausted his last energies. He had nothing left. No chance. No hope of attaining the healing of his soul. He was like the woman with the issue of blood who for 12 years had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. He was like the merchant man seeking that goodly pearl 
who gave up everything that he had seeking for it. It is only when you have nothing left, when self and all other means are being completely exhausted, when you are completely and utterly broken, that you are prepared to receive the healing that Jesus brings. Desire of Ages 202, the sick man was lying on his mat and occasionally lifting his head to gaze at the pool when a tender, compassionate face bent over him and the words, wilt thou be made whole, arrested his attention. Hope came to his heart. He felt that in some way he was to have help. But the glow of encouragement soon faded. He remembered how often he had tried to reach the pool. And now he had little prospect of living till it should again be trouble. He turned away wearily, saying, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but when I'm coming, another cometh and steps down before me. Sir, I have no man. While there remains any confidence in self or any trust in man or in the doctrines of men or in the institutions of the church by which to obtain divine healing, there is no room for Jesus in the heart and the soul cannot be healed. Only when the soul is at the end of the road and turns to Jesus and him alone as the last resort can the miracle of divine healing be obtained. Have you come to the place where you know that you have no hope in yourself of ever overcoming sin? No hope of reflecting his character? No hope of being ready for Jesus' return? Have you come to that place of complete brokenness, of self-distrust? Have you come to the place where you have lost confidence in your own faith, your own motives, your own sincerity, your own ability and willingness to obey God? Have you come to the place where you are desperate to be saved from the corruption of your soul, from your desires, your impulses, your own thoughts and feelings? Have you come to that point in your life where you despair of obtaining the healing of your soul? If so, Jesus stands by you today and says, Wilt thou be made whole? You know, it took the cripple 38 long years to come to that point in his life. Have you come to that point in your life yet? How many more years will it take? And unless he had come to that point in his life, he could not have been healed. All that time, he had wanted and prayed for healing, but never had he prayed to be broken. And Christ only comes to those who are broken. You see, it is only in and through those who are broken, those who are weak, those who are blind, those who are poor in spirit, that God can work. Only in them can God's strength and healing and wisdom and power be made perfect. 
We pray for strength, but we ought to pray for weakness. We pray for spiritual blessings, but we ought to pray for poverty of spirit. We pray for healing, but ought to pray for brokenness, that God alone may be all in all. The large multitude waiting by the pool, all but this man hoped by their little strength, by their little understanding, by their little prayers, by their little willpower to obtain the promised healing. Only this one man saw no hope in his strength, no hope in his understanding, no hope in his prayers, no hope in his willpower. And so only he was ready to receive Christ and be made whole. You see, the gospel is not faith alone. It's not believe and accept. It's not believe and obey, but repent and believe. Only those who in deep repentance long to be made whole will obtain it. Repentance is about being broken. It's about distrusting yourself. It's about abhorring the corruption of your own soul. It's about realising there is no hope at all for self and that only those who are immersed in the waters of repentance will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter said unto them, Repent, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Are you pleading with God for brokenness to be ready for that day when Christ will come to your soul to cleanse it from everything that defiles. Now, we read in Desire of Ages that Jesus did not ask the sufferer to exercise faith in him. He simply says, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Many people think that the healing of the cripple teaches that all you have to do is believe. But Jesus did not ask him to believe, did not ask him if he believed. This man may not even have heard who Jesus was. Even if he had heard, his hopes had been disappointed so many times, he could not anymore say whether he believed or not. That does not mean that Jesus required nothing from this man before he could be healed. Jesus did not just unconditionally heal him, expect him to believe and accept it like many tell us today. The first two conditions of healing this man had already met. The first condition is that he desperately longed to be saved from the infirmity of his soul. And the second condition is that his spirit had been broken and he had given up all hope of obtaining the promise of himself. The third and final condition was to grasp the word of God as his only hope even though he did not know it. That is what faith is, depending on God's word as the only means for divine healing. I do read in Isaiah of Ages 3, the man's faith takes hold upon that word. Every nerve and muscle thrills with new life and healthful action comes to his crippled limbs. Without question he sets his will to obey the command of Christ and all his muscles respond to his will. Springing to his feet, he finds himself an active man. Jesus had given him no assurance of divine help. The man might have stopped to doubt, 
and lost this one chance of healing. But he believed Christ's word and in acting upon it, he received strength. Faith is not hope. This man had no hope. Faith is not belief. Because this man did not believe Jesus could do anything for him. I mean, he turned around saying, I've got no man. Faith is not an expectation of something. This man had no expectations. Faith is not a feeling. For all this man felt was numbness and pain. Faith is not a wish or desire. This man had wanted to be healed for 38 years. Faith is not a mental assent to certain doctrines. Faith is not dragging your mangled soul to the pool, presuming thereby to be miraculously healed. Faith is to take God at his word and act on it. It's to set aside your own ideas and feelings and surrender to his word. Faith is to live with the sole objective of obtaining the promise of healing in his word. Not as though we had already attained it, but in order to obtain it. Desire of Ages says, Put your will on the side of Christ. Will to serve him and in acting upon his word you will receive strength. Whatever may be the evil practice, the master passion through which long indulgence binds both soul and body, Christ is able and longs to deliver. He will impart life to the soul that is dead in trespasses. He will set free the captive that is held by weakness and misfortune and the chains of sin. But the problem is that many do not understand the right action of the will. They confound the will with self. They think that what is needed is for self to serve God and for self to act on his word and that by doing so self will receive strength to overcome. They pray for self to be made whole rather than for self to be broken. But unless it first falls to the ground and dies, the soul cannot be renewed in the image of Christ. Their will is not on the side of Christ, but on the side of self. It is self they are captive to, and self they need to be freed from. They think that somehow self can be put on the side of Christ, but that can never be, for the carnal mind is enmity against God. And Paul wrote about this experience. He said, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. I find a law then, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You see, the cripple had no control over his flesh. The will to walk was present within him, but how to perform that which, he, which was good he found not. He had come to the point where he realised that there was nothing that self could do and that death was the only destiny for self. Only those who like him come to understand that there is no hope for self. That self can never be made whole. That self can never overcome. Are ready to detach their will from themselves. 
steps of Christ, page 47. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. And he will then work in you to do and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centred upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him. The right action of the will is not to pray for self to obey God. It's not to pray for self to overcome sin or to change the thoughts and feelings of self but to plead with God for self to crash and burn. Only the broken soul can be healed. Only the broken in heart and mind and spirit can obtain the promise. The right action of the will is to pray not my will but thine be done. What is God's will? That we might see the corruption of our souls and with weeping and mourning plead with him for divine healing. His will is that all, even we who wait upon the Lord, may come to repentance. The right action of the will to seek to be immersed in that living water, for self to be drowned in repentance, to relentlessly persist in seeking to obtain the promise by saying to God, I will not let thee go until thou bless me, even if it takes 38 years. Faith is to live wholly in reference to that day when Jesus will come near to you and say, Wilt thou be made whole? He will not come to ask if you keep the Sabbath. He will not come to ask if you have a relationship with him. He will not come to ask if you have overcome sin. He comes to see if you, like a cripple, are ready to be made whole, for him to fulfil his promise to sanctify you wholly. You cannot do that if you have any hope in yourself of obtaining it, or if you have put that day afar off. Are you pleading with him to be found ready in the day of your visitation? And it tells us in John 5, 9 that immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. By asking the man to carry his bed on the Sabbath, contrary to the law of the Jews, Jesus designed to scandalise them and to arrest the attention of the people so that all would take note that the crippled man had been healed. Jesus did not ask him to get on a soapbox or to go about indoctrinating others, or to make disciples, or to run evangelistic programs. He simply had to show by his life that he had been healed. The mightiest witness for Christ is not convincing arguments, it's not eloquence of speech, it's not slick promotions, it's the holy life of one that has been made whole. Christ does not send into the world marketeers or salesmen, or traffickers of religion. But he sends forth for all to see examples of his power to heal the soul. God calls us to bear the same witness for him. Verse 10, it says, The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. In his joy, this man had forgotten that it was Sabbath day 
and in following Christ's word. He was undermining the religious ideas and authority of the church leaders. Jesus could have healed the sick man as well on any other day of the week or he might simply have just cured him without bidding him to bear away his bed. But this would not have given him the opportunity he desired. A wise purpose underlay every act of Christ's life on earth. Everything he did was important in itself and in its teaching. Among the afflicted ones at the pool he selected the worst case upon which to exercise his healing power, bade the man carry his bed through the city in order to publish the great work that had been wrought on him. This would raise the question of what it was lawful to do on the Sabbath and would open the way for him to denounce the restrictions of the Jews in regard to the Lord's Day and to declare their traditions void. For this reason, he had chosen the Sabbath upon which to perform this act of healing. It was not to overturn the keeping of the Sabbath, but to expose the false ideas that were popular amongst his remnant people. Their ideas about the Sabbath were typical of their distorted ideas about salvation. Jesus wanted to contrast the futility of their faith and religious teachings with his own saving power. Jesus designed this healing to be an object lesson in salvation to answer the question of what must I do to be saved? Now in playing a part of Jesus' work in contrasting truth and error, this man brought a whole lot of trouble down upon his own head. No man can do the will of Christ without arousing opposition. In standing for truth, Christ's servants will also draw upon themselves the ire not just of the world but of the church. Christ calls them to share in his work of opposing false teachers by contrasting truth with error. They will often find themselves standing alone against the multitude. Like the healed man, they will encounter opposition from spiritual wickedness in high places and from within oneself. Wherever there is flesh, it will war against the spirit. Wherever there are those who walk after the flesh, after the rudiments of this world, they will oppose the work of Christ, even from within God's own people. Later that day, Jesus found this man in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. There are many today who want to walk while remaining spiritually crippled. They want to receive the latter rain without first walking in the Spirit. They want to overcome sin without having first been healed. They believe that God requires them to overcome sin and think that with God's help they can do so even while their souls remain crippled. They think that with God's help a thorn bush can somehow produce figs. But it is just as possible for them to be cleansed from sin and to be immersed in the latter rain as it was for the crippled to get into the pool before he was healed. Jesus did not come to help the man hobble to the side of the pool. He came to make him whole. Only after Christ has healed the soul can sin be overcome. Only after the old man of self has been crucified can the new man be created in righteousness and true holiness. And only then can sin be overcome.
those who have been healed and exhorted to sin no more, lest their latter end be worse than before. Now some people get confused about the healing of the soul. They think that it takes place when they first realise their need for and claim for themselves Christ's promise of salvation. They confuse accepting the promise with obtaining the promise. The two are very different things. They think that just because they have asked God for healing, that they are to believe that they have been healed, whether they feel healed or not. They misunderstand Jesus' statement in Mark 11:24. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. This verse does not mean that we are to believe that we have immediately received the things that we ask for. It means that we are to pray continually, importunately, believing that we will receive them in God's appointed time and way, if we continue asking for it. True faith is not found in the person who asks once and presumes to have obtained his request, but is found in the person who keeps asking until he has received it. Now, there are some cases, for example, cases of demonic possession, where the will is overpowered so as to destroy the body, demons of drug, addiction, etc., where Jesus must immediately expel them from the soul before they can destroy the body. But these cases aside, simple habits, lusts, Evil tendencies such as pride, selfishness, impatience. These can only be overcome through God by the persistent exercise of the will. Christ does not fulfil the promise as soon as we accept it. He supplies our immediate needs. But the rest, he leaves to see what we want to do with them. Are we happy to remain crippled or not? When we first claim Christ's promised salvation, we are accepted of him. But we are not necessarily at that instant made whole. But rather, we will be made whole if we continue seeking it. Galatians 5.5 says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Why wait for it if we already have it? Where is the patience of the saints? Are we waiting for the promise of righteousness or we do we think it's not so important? Jesus loves us, he'll save us anyway. And the cripple signified his acceptance of the promise of healing by coming to the pool of Bethesda. But it was only as he continued therein, by waiting, that he was healed. Had the man not remained at the pool, he would never have encountered Christ. And he would never have been made whole. Some think that because they have not yet obtained the promise that it cannot in this life be obtained. They've stopped hoping for and looking for healing. If Jesus has no power to heal the soul, to make you holy, to give you victory over every sin in this life, he will never be able to do it, not in this life, nor in the life to come. These settle into their spiritual disease and forget that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Do we hold the truth in unrighteousness? 
that is against all those that claim the promise and are waiting by the pool but never obtain the healing of their souls. Others leave the poolside despondent because having claimed the promise of healing they do not immediately feel that they have made whole. We are not to wait to feel that we made whole before we accept his love towards us. Having accepted his promise, we are to wait for the Lord and place our will on the side of Christ and choose to serve him. Believe in his word and it will be fulfilled. It is only in so doing that the cripple was healed. Review and Herald, August 25, 1891. When souls are converted, their salvation is not yet accomplished. They then have the race to run. An arduous struggle is before them to fight the good fight of faith. There is no release in this warfare. The battle is lifelong and must be carried forward with determination, energy proportionate to the value of the object to be obtained. In referring to those that obtain the promise and overcome, Jesus says, here is the patience of the saints. God will prove us to see if we really want to be healed or if it just is a fleeting whim. Many decades may pass from the time we accept the promise until the promise is fulfilled. Consider David, who was anointed king as a boy but did not receive the throne until he was 30 years of age. Consider Jacob, who was 77 years old when he received the promise of the birthright, but did not obtain the inheritance until he was 98 years old. Consider Abraham, who received God's promise when he left Haran at the age of 75, but the promise was not fulfilled to him until he was 99 years old. God said to him in Hebrews 6, 14 and 15, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying will I multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. There's one thing to accept the promise of healing of our souls, and another to obtain the promise Many like the Jews accept the promise and wait for it, but never obtain it. Why not? Why did Jesus, having come at great cost all the way from heaven to heal them, pass them by? Is God arbitrary? Does God not love them? They could not obtain the promise because when Jesus came to them, when he comes to us today... We are not prepared to receive it. They do not wait in God's appointed way. They are always ready to enjoy the loaves and the fishes that Christ gives, but they are not ready for the healing of their souls. John the Baptist, who had been sent to prepare their souls for Christ's visitation, they ignored and killed. By rejecting his message of repentance, they could not obtain the necessary preparation. Being found unready, could not be healed. This preparation that the cripple had so thoroughly obtained 
was exactly the same preparation that Jacob needed to obtain before he could obtain the blessing. Patriarchs and Prophets 183. The darkness of despair pressed upon his soul and he hardly dared to pray. But he was so utterly lonely that he felt the need of protection from God as he had never felt it before. With weeping and deep humiliation he confessed his sin and entreated for some evidence that he was not utterly forsaken. Still his burdened heart found no relief. He had lost all confidence in himself and he feared that the God of his fathers had cast him off. It is only in this condition that we are ready to accept God's promise of healing. It was only then that God gave the promise to Jacob that he would inherit the land, that in his seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 28.15 Behold, I am with thee, the Lord said, and will keep thee in all places whithersoever thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. And as the cripple accepted the promise of healing in the pool of Bethesda, Jacob accepted the promise of God. That was for both of them the beginning of a long experience that was to prepare them to obtain the promise. An experience of many disappointments and an experience of sorrow. An experience that destroyed all confidence in the help of man and in the ideas of men. As the cripple lost all hope of his friends carrying him into the water, so too was Jacob's trust in the help of Laban completely shattered. It is an experience of having one's self-confidence, one's self-satisfaction, self-assurance eroded away, of coming face to face with the poverty of one's own soul. Jacob's repentance did not end when he accepted the promise, but it deepened as it became clearer that he could not obtain the promise without a divine miracle. It's an experience that brings one to an existential crisis, like the cripple who had lost all hope of living long enough to make it to the pool. Jacob feared that Esau would kill him before he could enter the promised land and claim the promise. But we're told, Patriarchs, Prophets 197, that Jacob had power over the angel and prevailed. Through humiliation, repentance and self-surrender, this sinful, erring mortal prevailed with the majesty of heaven. He had fastened his trembling grasp upon the promise of God, and the heart of infinite love could not turn away the sinner's plea. Jacob had been taught how vain is the help of man, how groundless is all trust in human power. He saw that his only help must come from him against whom he had so grievously sinned. Helpless and unworthy, he pleaded God's promise of mercy to the repentant sinner and pleaded for deliverance. And as he reviewed his life, he was driven almost to despair that he held fast the angel with earnest, agonising cries, urged his petition until he prevailed. And how did he prevail? Education 147, Jacob had power over the angel and prevailed. He gained not merely deliverance from his outraged brother, but deliverance from himself. 
the power of evil in his own nature was broken his character was transformed he was made whole his soul was healed his mangled and disfigured character was transformed he gained victory over himself Acts of the Apostles 5.32 Before the believers held out the wonderful possibility of being like Christ. But of himself man is utterly unable to reach this condition. The holiness of God's word, that God's word declares he must have before he can be saved, is the result of the working of divine grace. He has not the wisdom or strength to overcome these belong to the Lord and he bestows them on those who in humiliation and contrition seek him for help. The part of the Christian is to persevere in overcoming every fault. How do we do this? Constantly he is to pray to the Saviour to heal the disorders of his sin-sick soul. Patriarchs and Prophets 197 Such will be the experience of God's people in their final struggle with the powers of evil. God will test their faith, their perseverance, their confidence in his power to deliver them. They will have a deep sense of their shortcomings and as they review their lives their hopes will sink. But remembering the greatness of God's mercy and their own sincere repentance they will plead his promise made through Christ to helpless repenting sinners. Their faith will not fail because their prayers are not immediately answered. They will lay hold of the strength of God as Jacob laid hold of the angel. And the language of the soul will be, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. This is the preparation that is needed by all those who will prevail as Jacob did. A life of unrelenting repentance and pleading for the fulfilment of the promise. Great victories are not gained on one's feet, but on one's knees. Those who will not let go of the Lord will overcome. Their characters will be transformed. Their souls will be made whole. And as he came to the cripple of Bethsaida, Jesus will come to them unexpectedly to purify the temple of their souls and make them holy. As we read in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I will send my messenger... And he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. The temple of your soul. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Of all the hundreds and diseased and dying at the pool, only one was healed. This too is an object lesson. Jesus passed through entire towns where not one miracle was recorded. Jesus said unto them, Luke 4, 27 But a truth I say unto you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land, and unto none of them was Elijah sent, but only to Zarephah, the land of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. The fault is not with God, but with those that are unprepared for their day of visitation. I'm not talking about his coming in the clouds of heaven with the sound of a trumpet, great power and glory. I'm talking about a day that no man knoweth. A moment that you do not expect. A day that ye think not. A day that will come upon you as a thief. When Jesus tells us that there shall be two in the field and one shall be taken and the other left. And two women shall be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other left. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Be ye therefore also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. It is a day of healing, or a day of being passed by. A day of rejoicing for those who are ready, or of gloomy darkness and foreboding to those that are found unprepared. A day of judgment for blotting out either of sins or of names from the book of life, a day that is near and hasteneth greatly. That day of visitation came to Pilate, and he knew it not. It came to Felix, and he knew it not. It came to Herod, and he knew it not. It came to the Jews, God's remnant people, and they knew it not. That day found them unready. They had not prepared their souls and could not be healed. And they died in their sins. They were blind to their need. They were comfortable with themselves. They were self-satisfied with their religious experience. They were complacent about their spiritual defects. God's remnant people presumed upon God's mercy and felt no urgent need for the healing of their souls. They presumed that having believed and claimed the promise was sufficient and overlooked the preparation to actually obtain it. Jesus says to us, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I shall come upon thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And he says, but now in Matthew 24, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his, ma his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of the servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When that day came to the multitude at Bethesda, only that one cripple was ready. He was fully aware of his own deformity, of his spiritual poverty. He loathed his condition. 
his weakness. He hungered and thirsted for the healing of his soul. No smooth sermon could placate his longing. No comforting theology could satisfy his craving. No self-assuring psychology could quench his need. His life was one of continual repentance, not from what he had done, but from what he was. For years, day and night, he had devoted his every energy to obtain the healing of his soul without knowing that he had paid the price in full and found in his delight in the day of his visitation that he was ready to obtain the promise. And Jesus says, And ye shall seek me, and ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Soon it will be our day of visitation. Are you complacent about that day? Do you trust in your faith, in your sincerity, in your church attendance, in your supposed relationship with Jesus? Are you seeking for self to be healed or for self to be broken? Are you sighing and crying over the depravity of your own soul? Are you pleading with God for repentance to be found ready in the day of your visitation? If you seek that preparation as the most important thing in your life with all your heart, uh, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, you will be found ready in that day. You will have prevailed with God and you will obtain the promise and receive his seal. Christ will in that day declare unto you, Arise, take up your bed and walk. Arise and shine, for thy light is come, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings the brightness of thy rising. On the other hand, if you are not found in repentance, seeking for holiness in thought and word and action, you will be passed by in the day of your visitation. You may presume on the love of God and on the moving of the waters to make you whole, but your name will be blotted out of the book of life. We will be classed with the wicked. Pity the sinner in the day of visitation, for God is angry with the wicked every day. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God.